of the Word of God, and would you locate 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verse number 24, find 1 Peter 2, uh, verse number 24. This, on Tuesday of this week, our media team uh, sent out a question with an image uh, to our short code 79969. Now, if you've not connected with us through our short code, the best way to do that is text BRIDGE, B-R-I-D-G-E, that one word, BRIDGE, to 79969, and you'll get uh, an update from me, announcement, different word I may have for you. Uh, so you can do that if you've not done that already. So we sent out this image, uh, image of this tree, with a question. What do you see when you look at this tree? Now, your responsiveness was fantastic. Thank you for responding. We had so many responses, and they were inspirational, and they were creative, and they were intuitive, and they were smart, and they were uh, funny, and they were serious, and they were some of them were random. But man, all of them were great. So thank you for sending those in. I want to share a few of them with you uh, as we get ready for me to explain to you what the vision is behind this image. So I want to share a few of those responses that we received uh, with you. Some folks sent in like uh, single uh, words or just real quick phrases, kind of like if you were to see a, a picture on social media and somebody says, caption this photo, what's happening in this photo? So one word we got was locust. When they look at the tree, they think of locust. I guess because of the bareness of the one side of the tree. Somebody sent in dinosaur. I'm still trying to figure that one out. Somebody sent in uh, a forbidden fruit or crown of thorns, uh, spikes uh, in the tree there. Somebody sent in wily coyote. Wily coyote. So the left side, the, my right side, your left side of the tree kind of looks like a wily coyote. I don't, some of you may not have ever even heard of wily coyote. Maybe the roadrunner will run through here in a few minutes. Uh, one of them made me think of like a Netflix original. Like if there was a Netflix original called Trees. And here's what I think would be a part of that Netflix. Listen to this. This tree has major soil problems on the left side. Them roots be dead. And take a look at the right side. I've never seen a tree grow a literal crown of thorns. This is obviously a legit tree. Just made me think of, you know, stream this now at Netflix or something. One observation I had is the time of day that some of you sent in. A couple of you sent it in like at 1, 2 a.m. in the morning. My mind is not working at 2 a.m. in the morning. Some of you were just black and white. What do you see when you look at this tree? An apple. Leaves. A trunk. Branches. Okay. Uh, then we had a very honest uh, maybe a little too honest of an answer. Somebody texted in after they uh, put in what they, what they saw in the tree. Then they added this to it. No pastor has ever asked my opinion on a sermon. I'm honored even though I may be way off the intended meaning. And I thought, yeah, pastor, the pastor probably didn't ask you for your opinion on his sermon because he's probably getting opinions from everybody else. So probably not room for you there. Then there were just some common responses like death and life. Okay, the, 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 the fruit represents death, and, and, and the green and the crown represents life, and then the gospel or redemption, and so just some great, great responses. And then there was this one that really just grabbed my attention. Uh, could be the nail was lost, the shoe was lost, the horse was lost, the rider was lost, the battle was lost, and unless God intervenes, the soul will be lost. Sounds like a movie trailer or something, doesn't it? 
Well, before I share with you the vision behind the tree and the meaning of it, again, thank you for your responses. We'll do that again. That was a lot of fun. So before I share with you the meaning, I want to share with you where it came from. Where did this tree come from? Well, really a collaborative effort among several on our staff. Uh, our student pastor here at Red Bank Campus West had an idea to have one sticker, one image that the students could take to school, put on a water bottle or a laptop like this sticker here and stick it on there and use it as a tool for people to, for them to enter into gospel conversations with people. And so they began to brainstorm and collaborate and this was not what they started with, but this is what they ended up with. And he pulled uh, Will uh, Henry from our media team in and Will actually designed the graphics. So this was all done in house. And when I saw it, I said, wow. Wow, I want to use this not only for students, but church-wide. And so we begin to pray about it, and we've developed a tool with this one image. This one image tells the entire gospel story. So what we're going to do over the next three weeks is we're going to focus in on the three trees that are represented in this one Our Family tree. There are three trees represented in this one tree. I want to introduce you to the three trees today, and then we're going to dive in deep on the very first tree. Next Sunday, we're going to look at the second tree. And then the following Sunday, we're going to look at the third tree. So the tree I want us to, the trees I want to introduce you today, I'm going to do it by using our app. Our team has developed an app. I'm very excited about this app. I'm telling you, if you've got any kind of device that can download apps, you need to get this app. It is so simple to help you share the gospel. It's easy to use. It's clear. I pray it'll be a blessing to you. I'm so excited about it, I can't tell you. Now, I'm going to tell you how to download it later, not right now. I just want to show you, when you download it, what you'll be looking at. So here's the app on your phone, and what's going to happen when you download it and you have the little icon on your phone that you tap, this is what's going to come up. The very first screen is going to be this screen with the tree at the top, and it'll say swipe uh, to tell people about our family tree. Now, there are arrows on either side of the tree, so you can either tap the arrow and it'll move, or you can literally swipe with your finger either way. So the first tree represented in our family tree is known as the forbidden tree. This dead side of the tree with the fruit hanging, with the bite taken out of it, is representative of the fall of man. You can read about that in Genesis chapter 3, where sin entered our world. And because of that, no one is righteous, no, not one. That we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've all disobeyed God. We've all sinned against God. So that is the forbidden tree represented in our family tree. The second tree represented in our family tree is the forgiveness tree. Now, the forgiveness tree is represented uh, by the three nails and the crown that you see uh, over here, these nails and then the crown hanging down. What does that represent? That represents Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for your sins and mine. He died on a hill called Calvary, on a cross, that old rugged cross, and he died and paid the penalty for your sin and mine, that he himself bore our sin in his body on the tree, on the cross. And so that tree, the forgiveness tree, represents that God did not want to leave us separated, but wanted to forgive us. So that's the forgiveness tree. So he offered up his son. The third tree is known as the forever tree. And it's the tree that has the green leaves, and you can see it lit up there on the screen. That represents eternal life that we can have, that we were to die to sin and live to righteousness. So these are the three trees represented in the one, our family tree. 
Now, there was one other response I got through the text messaging this week when we sent the question out, what do you see when you look at this tree? Somebody actually sent this in. I see three trees. I see the forbidden tree, the forgiveness tree, and the forever tree. I was like, wow, they nailed it. And we hadn't told anybody, so how do they know that? And then at the bottom it said, Greg House. (laughs) And he said, I had a cheat sheet. So today we're going to talk about the forbidden tree. The first tree represented as we walk through this our family tree. The one verse of Scripture that you need to know in order to share this tool is 1 Peter 2, 24. I'm going to unapologetically ask you to memorize this verse. 1 Peter 2, 24. It's our verse for the day. It'll be our verse for the next three weeks. Look at it with me. I'll begin reading. You follow along. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Father, what a glorious, glorious statement, message, truth, gospel. What good news this is. That Jesus took upon himself, put on flesh, walked among us, dwelt among us, took our sin on himself, became sin for us, died in our place as a substitute to pay the penalty of our sin. God, I pray today we'll see our sin in a fresh way, in a way that will cause us to repent. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So today I want to remind you of three reminders based on the first five words in 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins. And the first reminder is this. We all need to be reminded that Jesus takes our sin personally. Jesus takes our sin personally. It need not be lost on us, these pronouns that we see in the first part of it. He himself bore our sins. Three of the five words are pronouns. Personal pronouns. He himself. Why is it worded that way? Why does it need he himself? Why not just he bore our sins? Why he himself? It's for emphasis. It's telling us emphatically that Jesus takes our sin personally. This is an emphatic personalization that this one who is the exact imprint of God himself, according to the author of Hebrews, the exact representation of God, is also our exact representative on the cross. Like Jesus, he left the place of God, the crown, To come to the place of man, the cross. And he died for your disgusting, wicked, wretched sin. And he died for my disgusting, wretched, wicked sin. He himself. It also means this. That nobody coerced Jesus into dying for your sin. 
Nobody talked him into that. Nobody bullied him into that. Nobody forced Jesus or tricked Jesus or deceived Jesus in dying for your sin and mine. He himself bore our sin. Jesus didn't say after the fact, well, it looked good on paper. Not so good when I followed through. He didn't say that. Before the foundation of the world, this plan of redemption was set in place and set in motion. God the Creator actually created the hill where the cross, where Jesus died. He actually created that piece of property where Jesus' blood soaked the ground. Knowing that his only son was going to, his blood was going to soak that ground. Nobody coerced him or fooled him or tricked him. Jesus unapologetically, actually, unashamedly, blatantly took on your sin and mine and he bore our sin on the cross. He deliberately did it. He exclusively did it. Nobody else did it. It wasn't he, himself, and them. It's he himself. It's Jesus alone. The exclusivity of Christ is highlighted here. This doesn't read, I myself bore my sin, or you yourself bore your sin. Praise God it doesn't say that. It doesn't say, we ourselves bore his sin. Jesus is without sin. It doesn't say uh, that he himself bore his sin. It reads, he himself bore our sin. Purposely, publicly, knowingly, intentionally, freely, willingly, He bore our sin. Substitutionarily, that's not a word. But He bore our sin on the cross for you and for me. Why? Because He takes it personally. That's why. He takes our sin personally. In fact, He said in John 10, Jesus makes a statement, I'm the good shepherd. Okay? And then he begins to flesh out what that means. He says this, John 10, 15 through 18. I lay down my life for the sheep. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. Nobody forced him to lay it down. How is it then that Jesus Christ has authority to not only lay down his life, but take it up? Colossians 1, 15 through 20. Colossians chapter 1, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20. One of the, one of the most powerful descriptions of who Jesus is. Colossians 1, 15 through 20. He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Jesus all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Jesus and for Jesus. And Jesus is before all things. And in Jesus all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything, Jesus might be preeminent. For in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Jesus, to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of Jesus' cross. He is the one 
the God-man. Both fully God, both fully man, all at the same time has authority to lay down his life and take it up again. Dr. Adrian Rogers describes it this way. The blood of God flowed through the veins of Jesus. He wasn't all God and no man. He wasn't all man and no God. He wasn't half God and half man. He was both God and man at one time. He was the God-man. Never another like him as much as God, as if he were not man at all, and as much man as if he were not God at all. Both God and man. Fully God, fully man. So Jesus, because of that, John 1 tells us, he was in the beginning with God. God the Son was there in the beginning. And absolutely nothing that has ever been created was created without Christ, the Creator. He was there from the beginning. And He is the light uh, that brings light into this world, the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. See, Jesus took our sin personally long before any of us ever personally sinned. Like before you were born, He took your sin personally. Before you ever sinned, he took your sin personally. Why don't we take his sacrifice personally? He certainly took our sin personally. All the way back to the fall. Let's go all the way back to Genesis chapter 2. God is speaking to Adam. And he says to man, to Adam, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil... You shall not eat. For in that day you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then God put Adam in a deep sleep and took a rib and formed his wife Eve, and the two became one flesh. And that's the end of chapter 2. Then chapter 3 hits, and here's what happens. The Bible tells us, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And remember, nothing was made without Christ. So remember that. He said to the woman, uh, did God actually say? Now remember, the woman was not there to hear what God said. She heard it through her husband. She wasn't there. She wasn't made yet. And so she said, and, and, and the serpent said, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruits of the tree in the garden, but God said you should not eat of the fruit of the tree in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Is that really what God meant? He didn't mean that, right? He said, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open, you'll be like God. See, Satan never denied the existence of God. He never did that. He never said, well, God, God didn't say anything. He said, well, what did God say? And then he takes it and twists it and deceives it and tries to trick Eve and trick Adam. And it worked. He deceived them. And Eve saw that the fruit was desirable for food and delight to the eyes, and the tree was desired to make one wise. So she took of its fruit, and she ate, and she gave it to her husband, and he too ate. And the eyes of both were open, and they, they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. That's what sin does. 
Sin causes us to hide ourselves from the presence of the Lord. This take and eat, this giving in to temptation. I love the fact that I heard, heard one, uh, one, one pastor talking about this, the take and eat that we read of in Genesis 3 was reversed at the table of the Lord when Jesus says, take and eat. This sacrifice, my body and my blood, will reverse the curse of sin and the penalty of sin in your life. It takes it away. And one day the power and the presence of sin will be taken away. My heavens, Jesus took our sin so personally. Why do we not take his sacrifice? personally. And then Jesus was there when the gospel was first spoken in Genesis 3.15 when the Bible says, I'll put enmity, God said, between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring and he shall bruise your head. That's a mortal wound that Christ will crush Satan. And you shall bruise his heel. That's a non-mortal wound. That's the cross. Yes, Jesus died and was buried, but he was raised to life never to die again. Jesus takes our sin personally. Now listen, we're sinners in two ways. Okay, we're sinners by nature. This sinful nature of Adam and Eve was passed down to us, so we're sinners by nature. Right? And, and, and if you, for some... Listen, there was only one who was immaculately conceived in the womb, and that's the Lord Jesus. You were not. You were born in sin. You were born a sinner just like me. We have a sinful nature. We are sinners by nature. David even said, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. We are born sinners. But because Jesus was born without sin, we can be born again. <laughs> and so we're sinners by nature. Secondly, we're sinners by choice. Now I know uh, you <laughs> parents uh, in 2020 have done probably a lot more teaching your children at home uh, than you probably ever thought you would this year. I'm sure you've done a lot of that. But one thing, one subject, you'll never have to teach your children. One thing, you'll never have to sit them down and, and teach them how to sin. That's not a subject you'll have to teach them is how to disobey. They come knowing how to do that. And at some point, we choose to do that. And so our sin is great. Martin Luther said it like this. I love the way he said it. He said, nothing is easier than sinning. <laughs> Isn't that true? Nothing is easier than sinning. Our sin is great, but our Savior is greater. He's greater. Daniel DeWitt said it like this, I'm related to Adam in my natural birth. I'm related to Jesus in my new birth. I can't deny my past. No one can deny my future. R.C. Sproul said Jesus didn't negotiate with Satan. For our salvation, instead, he offered himself, he himself, in payment to the, to the Father for us. Satisfies God, he satisfied God's wrath in full at the cross. He took our sin personally. Here's a second reminder I need you to be aware of. Jesus takes our sin literally. Like he literally takes it. Not figuratively. He takes it. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He literally put on flesh and who knew no sin, became sin for us. He, he, he bore our sin. That word for bore means to bear under, like to take up the oars and bear the burden of rowing. Earlier this year, 
We went whitewater rafting on the Ocoee. And were eight of us. Now, Tanya is a lot more considerate than I am. A lot more. Okay? And she always is the one who volunteers to not put anybody else out. She just doesn't want anyone ever to be put out. So she volunteered us, the two of us, to break off from our group and go partner up with a couple other families or a couple other folks to go rafting because we, we had too many to put in one raft. So did I mention that Tanya's a lot more considerate than I am? That was not my idea. That was her idea. So we... So that's what we did, and we teamed up with a grandmother and grandson duo and a mother-daughter duo. And we met them and introduced ourselves and introduced ourselves. So when you go whitewater rafting, you get, of course, some kind of life vest. You get a helmet and a paddle, right? Or I thought you did. Uh, the daughter in this mother-daughter duo, she was 18 to 20 years old, very capable young lady, uh, sure, she was heavy set, but I mean, she wasn't disabled. She was very capable. And apparently, she told them that her right arm doesn't work. And again, she wasn't disabled. She just said, My arms don't work, and I don't want to paddle. I just want to ride. So, well, sign me up for that. Next time I go, I want that deal. I don't want to paddle. I just want to ride. I don't want to work. I just want to ride. So, we. Four of us carry the raft down to the water, and the mother and the daughter are in the front. Neither one of them are paddling. They're just for the ride. They're just there for the ride. I don't know how you, again, sign me up for that. So they're in the front, and they start complaining. And they start murmuring. And they start murmuring. And they start complaining and grumbling that they're getting wet. <laughs> it's too much water. It's white water rafting. Like, that should have given it away. They said, well, it's not like the first time we went. We didn't get this wet. And they're complaining. And, and we're just bearing the burden of rowing these folks down the river. And it got to the point where they just couldn't ride anymore. It was too difficult for them to ride. So we had to stop at a random spot on the Ocoee. And not just our raft, but about the whole company of rafts and let them out at this random spot because they couldn't take it anymore. So there I am having a pity party about the whole thing. And then, of course, as the Lord always does, the Holy Spirit never misses an opportunity to slap me upside the head. And so he did and said, now imagine you rowing every person that's ever rowed down the Ocoee. Imagine you bearing their burden of rowing their raft. Now, every single person who's ever rafted down. Have you ever rafted down the Ocoee? Raise your hand. Anybody? All right, every, imagine you rowing for every single person. That's exactly what my son has done. He has bore your sin on the cross and everybody. It was a once for all time sacrifice. Jesus literally taking the sin of the world upon himself and the father pouring out his wrath on his son to the point that he couldn't, he had to turn away. And he died so unjustly. He died unjustly. And the Bible says he never opened his mouth. He never murmured. He never complained. And yet here we are as sinners sinning while Jesus is bearing our burden and we can't stop complaining and we can't stop murmuring because we feel like we're suffering unjustly when it's our sin that brings on our suffering. And here Jesus is not opening his mouth, 
shedding his blood, laying down his life for you and for me. See, God the Father punished Jesus as if he sinned so that he could treat us as if we never sinned. Wow. He takes our sin literally. Spurgeon said it like this, My looking to Jesus brings me joy and peace. Yes. But it is God's looking to Jesus which secures my salvation and that of all the elect. Since it is impossible for our God to look at Christ, our bleeding surety, and then to be angry with us for sins already punished in Him. Wow. See, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there'll be one thing in heaven that's both God-made and man-made, and those are the nail marks in Jesus' hands. When He stood before Doubt and Thomas and said, Hey, Thomas, stop doubting and believe. Put your hand here. See the mail marks in my hand. Put your hand in my side. Stop doubting and believe. Somebody here online or on campus needs to stop doubting and believe. See, you cannot earn God's love. In fact, you don't need to earn God's love. You can't work for it, nor do you need to work for it. Because God cannot love you any more than He already has demonstrated on the cross. He can't love you any more than he already does. And he's proven it through the punishment and the death of his son. Oh, my sin. Oh, my sin. Oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the what, church? The whole is nailed to the cross. And I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. Jesus takes our sin personally. He takes it literally. Here's the last reminder I want to give you today. It's a little different. It's in the form of a question. Okay? So here's the question. Really a point of application. Are you taking your sin seriously? Are are you taking your sins? I'm not asking you if you're taking your neighbor's sin seriously, okay? I'm not asking you if you're taking your spouse's sin seriously or pointing out your brother or sister's sin seriously or pointing out your kids or your parents' sin. I'm not talking about their sin. I'm talking about your sin. Are you taking your sin seriously? Look, Look what the Word says again here in verse 24. He himself bore, that's to bear under, we've already talked about that, our sins. Sin is a missing the mark. Like there's a standard, and we've missed it. Like if you're, you're shooting an arrow at a target and it falls short, or goes wide, left or right, or you miss the target. We've missed it with God. We, we've missed it. Our best, our, our, our very best, on the very best day, God sees as just filthy rags because of our sinful nature and our choice to disobey in sin. And so here's Jesus who's bearing our sin. Now listen, you'll never be held accountable for my sin. I'll never be held accountable for your sin. I'll never stand before God and give an account for your individual sin. You will never stand before God and give an account for my individual sin. But here's Jesus taking all our sin and bearing it on the cross. 
paying the penalty. And it just begs the question, why is Jesus taking your sin more seriously than you are and that I am? Have you ever, you ever tried to help somebody, a friend, a family, somebody in your life, and it seems as if when you're trying to help them that you care more about them being helped than they do? You ever been there? Why am I doing this? You don't even care to get better or get help. And here I am helping you. And I care more about this than you do. Well, that person is you. And that person is me. Why do we not take sin as serious as we do other stuff in our life? Education. We take education seriously. And we should take education seriously. We go to great lengths to educate our children as we should. We make sacrifices. We make life-altering decisions where we live, where we work in order for our children to get the best opportunity to be educated. And that is exactly what we should do. We take it seriously. But we know that 97% of our population will never earn a professional degree. But we still take it seriously. Sports and extracurricular activities, we take it very seriously. And we do. We, we, we make sacrifices and go to great lengths and, and make life-altering decisions to make sure our children have those opportunities availed to them. Yet we know that 98% of high school athletes will not play at the next level. We take social media seriously, right? Sure we do. And we should. It's a great tool. Man, what a tool to connect with people, build relationships, and, and point them to Christ. And we take it seriously. In fact, I read just this week, 66% of evangelicals say they use social media every day. At the same time, only 32% of evangelicals say they use the Bible every day. So we take it seriously. Apparently, we take social media seriously. We take our health seriously. We take COVID-19 seriously. Again, as we should. We take precautions, right? We wash our hands. We physically distance. We wear our mask. We take all these precautions to protect ourselves and others as we should. Why? Because there's a chance you could get the virus. There's a, you know, it's a small, slim chance that you could die from it. I think the mortality rate as of August 10th in America was about 0.04%. That's a 99.96% chance of not dying from COVID. That means you have a 99.96% chance of dying from something else other than COVID because we all have a 100% guarantee that we're going to die. <laughs> the death rate is holding steady at 100%. It's not going to back off of that number. Uh, death is responsible for 100% of all fatalities, and that's not going to change. So there's not a chance that our sin affects us. It's a guarantee. So my point is, not that we stop taking all these other things seriously. My point is, should we not take sin just as seriously as we take education, knowing that uh, 97% of our children will not earn a professional degree, or seriously, as we take sports, knowing that 98% of our children will not play at the next level, or knowing that the slim chance we have of dying from a virus like COVID, should we not take our sin just as serious, if not more, knowing we have a 100% guarantee that the wages of our sin is death? Knowing that we have a 100% guarantee that we will die and then face judgment? Knowing we have a 100% guarantee, 100%, not a chance, a guarantee that we'll stand before Jesus and give an account. I love what Billy Sunday said about sin. This is the 
Billy Sunday was the Billy Graham before Billy Graham. He was a nut. He was a professional baseball player. He, he, he ran, I can't remember the time, but he was the first baseball player the late 19th century to run the bases under a particular time, but I can't remember the time. So he was a great athlete. He would preach and dive and slide across the, the platform. But this is what he said about sin. He said, listen, I'm against sin. I'll kick it as long as I've got a foot. I'll fight it as long as I've got a fist. I'll butt it as long as I've got a head. I'll bite it as long as I've got a tooth. And when I'm old and fistless and footless and toothless, I'll gum it till I go home to glory and it goes home to perdition. So apparently he took sin pretty seriously, as should we. Because Jesus bore it all on the cross of Calvary, paying your debt and mine in full, not in part, but the whole was nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. My sin paid in full. If awareness today of the sin in your life, if the Holy Spirit has brought an awareness, a conviction to your heart today of some unconfessed sin, of some sin you really weren't aware of, some sin you were aware of, if, if the Lord has brought that to your heart today, there's a difference between conviction and condemnation. Okay? There's a difference between conviction and condemnation. For those of us who are in Christ, who have trusted Jesus as our Savior, there is no condemnation. For those who have not, you're condemned already because you've not believed in God's one and only Son. So it's time for you to put your faith in Him and trust Him that what He did on the cross paid the penalty for your sin once and for all. If this awareness today has discouraged you of your sin or the conviction, just know this, Jesus is your righteousness. Okay? And so that's, what, that's the takeaway. I want to end with this, this, this takeaway for you. And in a moment, not right now, but in a moment, our praise team is going to come sing and I'm going to invite you to respond. But here's our takeaway. Jesus knew no sin. Remember, 1 Peter 2.22. He committed no sin. He committed no sin. He committed no sin. So Jesus, who knew no sin, He longs to know sinners. How about that? (laughs) He knew no sin, but He longs to know sinners. Now, if you're in the room or out of the room, and you would say, yes, I am a sinner... And yes, I have yet to receive Christ as my Savior. I want to invite you to do that. I want to invite you to just pray to the Lord right where you are. Something like this, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I believe in this good gospel message that Jesus came to die for my sins. I believe that he was buried and was raised to life. And I trust him. I want to put my faith and trust in him right now. And if you call on the name of the Lord... The Bible says you'll be saved if you believe it in your heart and you trust Him, you call on Him, you surrender. You have to surrender. You have to throw your hands up. Not literally, but you have to throw up your spirit and surrender. That's the international sign of surrender. So you need to surrender to Him. 
today. If, if you need help doing that, you want to talk to somebody about that, if you're in the room or out of the room, text the name Jesus to 79969. We've got people ready to talk to you right now. So if you're in the room, take your phone and text Jesus to that number, 79969. If you're out of the room, you can do the same thing. If you're in the room or if you're out of the room and you need to repent of not taking your sin seriously, then I want to invite you to do that. I want to invite you right where you are to cry out to the Lord in a moment when we stand and sing, not right now, but in a moment. And, and just settle it with the Lord right now and tell Him I'm sorry for not taking sin seriously and help me to be aware of sin and confess it as soon as I'm aware. Jesus, who knew no sin, takes our sin personally. He takes it literally. He longs to know sin. I mean, think about that. Think about your sin for a moment. And think about how you're longing for sin. My longing for sin. Our longing for sin is the reason why we are disobedient in this life. Yet Jesus, who longs for sinners, his longing for sinners is why he was obedient in death. So we're disobedient in life, yet he's obedient in death. Think about our sin and your sin and my sin. Our sin, our longing for sin, eats away at us like a parasite. And Jesus' longing for sinners is heard in his word on the cross. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Think about our sin. That our longing for sin causes us to, to run with some, while Jesus' longing for sinners is why he gave his life as a ransom. He who knew no sin longs to know sinners. Think about how doubting Thomas, <laughs> he, he wanted a guarantee in order to believe. And Jesus' longing for doubting Thomas said, I just want you to simply believe. Oh, this Jesus who knew no sin, who committed no sin, is committed to knowing sinners. This one who hung on a sinner's cross, he wants to hang out with sinners. Like he who was without sin, he wants to be with you. And he wants you to be with him. And he wants to be with us. And he wants us to be with him. Zacchaeus climbed that sycamore tree and he climbed it so he could gaze on Jesus. And Jesus climbed that tree on Calvary's hill so he could save us. You know, we're bitter about yesterday. We're anxious about tomorrow. All the while, Jesus is offering peace for today. Right now, today, isn't it time for you to surrender to him? Father, we love you and we praise you. God, we thank you for the gospel message of Jesus Christ. And we thank you that today we can be born again. Today we can trust you as our Savior. Today we can experience life abundant and forever. So God, I pray if there's anyone in the room, outside of the room... If they need to make a decision to trust Jesus today, they would text Jesus to that number, 79969. If they needed to make a decision about baptism, they need a prayer request, they want to talk about membership, whatever it might be, to, to text us and let us know. We'd love to talk with them.
God, if there's anybody in the room, I'm going to open it. I hadn't done this since March, but just feel compelled to do this, Lord. And if there's anybody in the room that wants to come forward to these steps and just kneel down before God Almighty, say, Lord, I'm sorry for not taking my sins seriously. I pray that they'd have the freedom to do that. They certainly do not have to. But if they want to come and space out and do that, Lord, I just pray that you'd lead us today as we respond to you and to your word. And we ask it in Jesus' name. I mean, would you stand with us? If you feel so compelled to come and tell the Lord you're sorry down here, right where you are, that's fine. You just respond to the Holy Spirit.